Thank you, ladies. That was beautiful. Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. We're going to be thinking about trust is grace, and there are literally hundreds of scriptures that have to do with grace, uh, but I think of all the scriptures in the New Testament, especially this one is one of my favorites, and so we're going to be thinking about trusting his grace, and the Apostle Paul was a trophy of grace, and he tells us a lot about that in this passage. So when you find 2 Corinthians 12, please stand to your feet as we show our respect for the reading of God's holy word. And this is the word of the living God. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one was caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glorify to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, there's an old hymn that uh, I've never sung, but I came across these words, and, and the words just kind of riveted me. The name of the hymn is, He Faileth Never. And Francis R. Havergal uh, may not be familiar to you, but if you've ever sung Onward Christian Soldiers, she was also the author of that hymn. So she had a kind of a militant attitude about Christianity, and I appreciate that. You know, some churches don't sing that anymore. They don't sing Onward Christian Soldiers Marching As To War With The Cross Of Jesus Going On Before. They say that's too militant. We shouldn't sing songs like that in church. Well, I say praise God for that song because that's what we are. We are at war. Don't think we're at peace with the devil. We'll never be at peace to the devil until he ends up where he's supposed to be in a lake of fire. And that will happen, I assure you. I've read the back of the book. That's why he's as mean as he is. He's read the book, and he believes it. He knows what's going to happen to him. And he's creating all the havoc and all the chaos he can while he can because he knows he's going to get his just desserts. Now, let me say this. Some people have the mistaken idea that the devil is going to rule in hell. I want you to understand this. When the devil is in hell, he suffers like everybody else. And that's why he's as mean and ornery as he is now. 
And some of you say, well, I don't even know that I believe in there, that there's a devil. Well, then you must know more than Jesus did because Jesus certainly believed in him. In fact, he told Peter one time, he said, get thee behind me, Satan, when Peter was trying to get him to dodge the cross. So Satan is real. So we need to understand we are at war. But in another one of her hymns, cause he faileth never, she wrote these words, distrust thyself, but trust his grace. You say, how did you find that? I Googled it. All right. I have to be honest with you. A lot of the things I find now, I Google, but I don't always believe what I Google. I just want to tell you that, okay? Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true, but this was a hymn I would have never found if I hadn't Googled Trust His Grace. And she said, what a beautiful statement this is. Distrust thyself, but trust His grace. It is enough for thee. And every trial thou shalt trace, it's all sufficiency. And that comes right from this scripture today. Paul was praying for something that he called a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed for it three times, and God didn't remove it, but Jesus spoke, and that's why those words are in red, if you have a red-letter Bible, and Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In this passage, you see three things. First of all, in the first six verses, Paul talks about his past. In fact, in verse 1, and then later on, he talks about revelations again, but he said, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, uh, Paul was a man who had had revelations. In fact, we're reading one of those revelations right now. Second Corinthians was revealed by God to the apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit. It was pinned down, it was preserved, and it is in our Bible today for our edification. And Paul received a lot of revelations. In fact, Paul wrote at least 13 books in the New Testament. The book of Acts, uh, Paul takes the main role in the last part of the book of Acts as he spread the gospel across the then known world. And so what was a movement in Palestine became a worldwide religion because of the ability of the apostle Paul to use God's grace to spread the gospel. But Paul was given revelations. He saw a lot of things that were revealed to him by God. He was not boasting about himself. He was boasting about the one who gave the revelations, God. And that's what we need to understand. He was a man who had received revelations. One of his revelations, he was taken to paradise. Now, I know when you first read this, you say, well, who in the world is Paul talking about? He said he knew a man uh, in the flesh and uh, 14 years ago who was caught up to the third heaven. Well, most Bible commentators, and, and I go along with them, believe that Paul is talking about an experience he had. On several occasions in the missionary journeys, Paul was beaten or stoned and left for dead. And a lot of Bible commentators believe that on one of those occasions when Paul was left for, for dead, in fact, if you read it, it's kind of, kind of funny in a way looking back on it, his companions are all standing there looking at him after he'd been stoned. Now, I want to tell you this. If I ever get stoned by a mob and my staff sits there and looks at me, when I do come to, they are all fired. Just want you to know it right now. You'll be fired on the spot. If I get stoned, not with drugs or alcohol, if I get stoned by angry people and you say, well, is he dead or alive? We you call 911 if that happens to me, all right? But it's kind of funny if you look at it, all of his companions just sitting there going, well, I guess this is the end for Paul. And then in a minute, a little finger moves and they said, well, you know, the old boy might still be alive. And they still sit there. And finally, Paul gets himself up and all his broken bones and bleeding and all this. And 
contusions and all. And he goes on, and I guess they took care of him after that. But a lot of Bible commentators believe it was that experience that Paul literally was carried up to the third heaven, to the presence of God. That's what paradise is. Paradise is where heaven is right now. The Bible says in Revelation that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. John said, I saw the holy city coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. If it comes down, a lot of people think the world is going to be destroyed and that the new heaven and the new earth will be right here where the old earth was. Now that may be so. I, I, I'm not on the uh, construction committee. I'm on the welcome committee. I want you to know that, all right? I'm going to leave all the construction to God. He does a whole lot better with that than I do. But Paul had revelations, he saw paradise, but then notice what he says in verse 6. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Paul is saying, I am not going to brag on myself. I want you to understand that. The purpose of this passage is not to say, look what Paul has done. The purpose of this passage is to say, look what God did for and through and in the life of the apostle Paul. Now you may be here today and you may feel like, man, I, I wish I had somebody on my side like God. I wish I had somebody on my side that would give me revelations. I wish I had somebody on my side that would let me see paradise. I, I, I wish I had somebody like that with all my troubles and all my trials and all my tribulations. Well, guess what? Paul was not loved by God one whit more than you. You know, I know today I'm talking to people with problems. Why? Because I'm talking to human beings. There is not one person in this room that doesn't have a problem of, of some kind. Now, some of you may not have physical problems. Well, I have bad news for you. Just keep on living, and you will. I remember when I had no physical problems. Yeah, I remember when, when I was younger. I mean, I, you know, I didn't have to worry about being uh, stiff when I got up, my bones creaking and popping and all those kind of things. I didn't have to worry about it. Well, I want to tell you, if you're in that state, enjoy it while it lasts, because it will not last forever. I can assure you of that. I get more philosophical every day that I live. And I've decided that uh, the energy and, and all the, the good things in life are wasted on young people. They really are. When you get old, you would enjoy them a whole lot more. But here's my philosophy of life. When you're young, everything works and nothing hurts. When you're middle-aged, not everything works, but at least what doesn't work doesn't hurt. When you get old, nothing works and everything hurts. I see that hand, sister. I see that. Yes, I, I testify to that. Some of y'all don't. Listen, you say, why are you saying that? Well, I'm going to tell you this. We should never live by sight, but by faith. And it's not about my feelings. I'm going to be honest with you. This may cause a, a rebellion. I don't know. I had the flu one time. And I'm just going to be honest enough to tell you all this. I went to bed the night before. I felt perfectly fine. And I woke up the next morning. And I felt like Mary had taken a stick all night and beat me. And I mean, every joint, every fiber of my being. And there's a lot of fibers in my being. I'm going to tell you that. There's a lot of fibers in here. I mean, everything hurt. And I got up and I thought, what happened to me? And then I thought, man, I feel horrible. And I took my temperature. I had a fever. And, and I started having all kind of congestion in my head. 
And I told Mary, I said, you need to wake up. I'm sick. You got to take me to the doctor. And she got up and she said, I'm sick too. You got to take me to the doctor. And I said, no, I called it first. You have to take me. And so we finally got to the doctor. And we got in an argument in the waiting room. I'm sicker than you. No, you're not sicker than me. Yeah, I'm older than you. I'm sicker than you. Finally, they took us back to the room. They even put us in the same room together. I said, well, I guess we wouldn't give each other the flu. We already had it. They took my temperature. I beat her by one degree. I said, I told you I was sicker than you. And I'm going to be honest with you. They gave me a shot, and gave her a shot, and gave us all kind of medicine for the flu. We got home that day. I'll be honest with you. I didn't feel saved that day. You know, if you said, well, let's sing a chorus, let's sing a hallelujah chorus, I'd have said, not me, Buster. I, I may be singing with the angels here in a minute, but I'm not going to sing the hallelujah chorus. I just don't feel like it. And you see, that's my feelings. But the fact is, I was saved. I just had the flu. I had to get over it. And I got over it. So there are times when you have problems and you may not even feel saved, but that doesn't mean you're not saved. That's why it's good to know you're saved before those feelings come. Because then when those feelings come, you say, oh, that's just because I got the flu. You know, it's just because I'm not myself. Uh, those things will happen. But Paul said, I'm not going to brag about all I've done. He said, I'm going to forbear. He talked about his past. And then he talks about his pain. He says, and he tells us the reason for the pain. He said, unless I should be exalted above measure. He said, because God had given me revelations and because God had taken me to paradise. Now think about that. He said, I saw some things in paradise I can't even tell you about. And you say, you say why couldn't he? Because God told him not to. That's why. When God tells you not to say something, you better not say anything. You better keep your mouth shut. And so he said, I can't even tell you about what happened there. But he says, it was, I, had, I, I was given this pain uh, lest I should be exalted above measure. And by the way, this is something we need to remember as Christians. We don't need to brag about our Christianity. We need to brag about Jesus, okay? Because we don't, Christianity uh, without Jesus is, is not Christianity. You take Christ out of Christianity, it's empty. And, and so anything the church ever does, anything Christians ever do, it's not because of the Christians or because of the church. It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to watch that because we can be just as proud as the devil and not realize it. You know, that's where most arguments start. Most people want their way. Why do they want their way? Because they're full of pride. We need to understand that. Paul said, this was done to humble me. And he said, not only did it humble me, it hurt me. He said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, I've read this for many years. And as I studied Greek, I realized this is more than just a thorn off of a bush. This is like a sharpened stake. You remember in history, if you studied history, early in the days of mankind, before uh, we had the industrial age, people made crude weapons. And the earliest crude weapon was a man would find a stick and he would find a stone and he would take that stone and he would sharpen the end of that stick and it would be a crude spear. And that was the weapons that men used to fight with for hundreds of years before they found out how to take a rock and attach it to that stick and make a real, what we call a spear today. And so this is a sharpened stake. This is not some little bitty thorn that'll scratch you a little bit. This is something that would cause you pain. It, it was hurting. He was hurting. He said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. He said, this was something in my body that hurt. And then notice it was hateful. 
He said it was the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now he attributes it to Satan, but let me say this. Satan cannot do anything to anybody unless God allows him to do it. You need to understand that Satan is powerful, but he's not all powerful. Uh, Satan knows a lot, but he's not all knowing. And, and Paul said, this was not from God, but God allowed it to happen. And the word buffet there means literally uh, to beat someone into submission or to beat beyond recognition. The Bible says when the Lord Jesus was beaten by the Roman soldiers that he did not even look like a human beating. A human being. That is exactly what buffeting means. So this was not just a minor little problem Paul had. This was a major problem in Paul's life. And he said it was the messenger of Satan to buffet me, to beat me into submission, just exactly like the Roman soldiers did to the Lord Jesus. That was Paul's past and Paul's pain. But now here in verses 8 through 12 is Paul's promise. And first of all, it starts when God seemingly did not answer his prayer. You see, in fact, he didn't just pray one time. He tells us very plainly here, I besought the Lord thrice. Three times I said, God, take this thorn in the flesh away. Now, I don't know if it was because the Bible talks about in the Garden of Eden. You remember Jesus went back to see the three disciples and found them asleep. And the third time he said, sleep on. Uh, and I don't know how many times Jesus said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. He may have well said that three times. But... God seemingly did not answer Jesus' prayer in the garden, and God seemingly did not answer Paul's prayer, but God always answers prayer. Sometimes God denies. Sometimes God said no. He said that to Jesus. Now listen, if God would not answer the prayer of his own dear son, God has a right not to answer my prayer and your prayer. But we need to understand if he doesn't answer it, it's for the greater benefit of other people. When he did not answer that prayer for Jesus, when Jesus said, and by the way, that's the only time in the Bible where Jesus says, my father. The rest of the time he calls on God, he calls him our father or just father. But in the garden on his knees, sweating great drops of blood, he says, my father. Can you imagine what that did to the heart of God? To hear his own dear virgin born sinless spotless lamb of a son cry out, my father. And yet knowing there had to be a silence from heaven because there was no way the cup could pass from him. God has the right to deny our prayers. But God sometimes delays our prayers. I had an answered prayer this year. I had prayed for someone for 15 years. For 15 years. Remember this church had had a problem. 15 years. They've been throwing their life away. And this past year, God caused them to turn from a destructive lifestyle to start getting their feet back on the right path. And I'm so thankful. 15 years of praying. There's a man I've been praying for in Pelham for 33 years. He's lost. If he died today, as far as I know, he'd go to hell. He's never trusted Jesus. I'm still praying for him. You say, well, Aren't you about ready to quit? No. I'll quit when God takes the burden away from me. I'll quit witnessing to him when God takes the burden away from me. Sometimes he gets tired of seeing me come. He knows what I'm going to talk about. He knows what I'm going to talk about. But God has put that on my heart. Think about Abraham and Sarah. God said, you're going to have a son. 
They got old, and Sarah said, here, take my handmaiden, have a child with her. That's exactly why the mess in the Middle East is there today. They, they didn't trust God. God was saying, not yet, not yet, not yet. They thought he was saying, no, 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 no. And so they took matters in their own hands. And Ishmael's the son of the flesh, and Isaac's the son of the promise. And the children of the son of the flesh and the children of the son of the promise are going to fight until Jesus comes to earth. But God was just saying to Abraham, not, re- not, not yet, not yet. Sometimes he delays. And sometimes God answers it differently. And that's what he did here. He just said, no, Paul, I'm not going to hear you right, right away. He said, and uh, Paul, I'm not going to make you wait. Because here's your answer, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, you say, why did God do that? Only God knows. God doesn't tell us why he does everything he does. And you know what happens when bad things happen? What do we say? Why? Well, Jesus said it on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's not wrong to say that. I heard on the news last night, a young person was killed in a terrible car wreck out in the Pinson area. This past week in Jasper, three young men took an airplane up. They had no reason taking that airplane up. It crashed. All three of them were killed. And when those things happen, people say, why? Why? And there's nothing wrong with saying why. You may never know why. And you need to just accept that as a fact of life. You see, only God knows the why of everything. And he's not going to tell us that this side of eternity. You know what we ought to say when tragedies happen? What? What? What is God trying to teach us? I tell you one thing, young people. He's trying to teach you not to drive fast on a slick road. He's trying to tell you don't take off in an airplane. You have no business in flying. He's telling you don't wreck your lives on alcohol and drugs and tobacco. Things that some people say, oh, these will make you cool. That you, you, You'll be with the in crowd if you do that. Now, those things will hurt you and eventually kill you. You say, what can I learn from this? What can I learn from this? I've been going through a minor problem for 64 years. Well, not 64 years, because I couldn't read until I was about five or six. But ever since I was in the first grade, I've loved to read. And I'd get up every day and read. And when I was in the fifth grade, I started having a problem. And they took me to the eye doctor, and he said, you need glasses. You're extremely nearsighted. And he put glasses on me. And I never will forget, he said, son, wear these for about three months. and never have to put them on again. I've been looking for that doctor. I don't know how many other people he lied to about that. But I did put my glasses, and Mary will tell you, for most of our married life, I'd, first thing I'd reach for in the morning was my glasses. Last thing I'd put up at night was my glasses. You'd say, why'd you do that? I wanted to see. And then all of a sudden, I realized I couldn't see out of my right eye. And I had to go have surgery. And had to have surgery on the left eye. He said, there's a tear on your left eye. He told me last time I saw him, he said, you know why we fixed the tear on your left eye? I said, I know, I really don't. He said, because it was fixing to detach too. And he said, you would, you'd have a hard time living with two detached retinas. I said, you got that right. But for all those years, I've been able to read. And it's a struggle for me to read now. I, 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 you know, I'm getting better. In fact, I go see my regular eye doctor this week, and I hope he can change my prescription. And, and my vision is, is good distance-wise. It's up close. But I took that for granted. For all those years, I took for granted. I was going to be able to put my glasses on and pick up the Bible and read it, pick up the newspaper and read it, look up a number in the phone book. 
Last few weeks, I haven't been able to do that. You know, I'll, I'll never take that for granted again. When I pick up my glasses, when I get my new prescription, I, I, I fully believe that it'll be corrected to 2020. But I'll never take for granted the ease of being able to. Some of you are having a hard time getting around. All those years, you got, got up when you wanted to, went where you wanted to, did what you wanted to. Now it's kind of different. You can't take that for granted anymore. We need to ask, what is God trying to teach us when that happens? But then I love this. Sometimes God just says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what you asked me to do. You say, what happened? Well, you remember when Jesus turned the water into wine? You remember when Jesus called on God to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he did? You see, that, that, that's the hallelujah prayer answer right there. Man, I prayed for it, and it came to pass. But that doesn't mean that the others aren't just as divinely inspired. Paul is teaching us that seemingly unanswered prayer. Sometimes it's just God saying, I'm going to do it differently. But then he says, not only was it because of seemingly unanswered prayer, he says it was caused, caused by abounding grace. Jesus himself said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, Paul had been given revelations. He'd been given an out-of-body experience that he couldn't even describe. Paul was a soldier for the Lord. Paul was a church planter extraordinaire. Paul was a church problem solver extraordinaire. Paul was a man of God. And when a man of God prays and God says, I'm not going to do what you want me to do, but here's what I'm going to do. My grace is going to be sufficient for you. And I don't care what your problem is today, and I don't care what, what you're facing in life, and it may be a, a critical illness, it, it may be uh, health problems, it may be problems on your job. We talked about the cliff last week, uh, and, and we didn't go off the cliff. I didn't think we would. I wasn't going anyway. I'd already made up my mind. I was going to do like Jesus. When they came to the cliff, I was going to turn around and go the other way. I wasn't going off the cliff no matter what the government did. But I want to tell you this. You don't have a problem today that God cannot give you grace to deal with it. Some of you are going through grief. You've lost a loved one. God gives you grace for that. Some of you are going through hard times with your family. God will give you grace if you'll call on him. You see, what we do a lot of times is we say, okay, God, here's all my problems. I want you to take them and, and help me with them. And then we walk away and we say, oh, wait a minute, God, I'm going to take them back myself. You see, you've got to learn to say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to do everything you tell me to do. But, Lord, I just want to tell you, this is a problem that's come on me, and it's bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. And so here it is, Lord. I want you, your grace to be sufficient for me. And I don't care what problem it is. God's grace will be sufficient. You won't have to worry about that. There is sufficient grace to solve every problem in the world if we just turn it over to God. And then notice how the power of Christ is revealed. He says, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Have you ever noticed all the, the, the things in the Bible that really don't make sense humanly speaking? That really it's almost the, object, almost the opposite of what you'd want it to be. For example, when I am weak, then I am strong. What that means is when I am weak in my own person, then I can be strong in the Lord. And if I'm, if I'm strong in Brother Mike, I'm weak in Jesus. If I'm weak in Brother Mike, I'm strong in Jesus. And that's, 
That's a Bible promise. When I am weak, I'm strong. When I give, I receive. Jesus said this. We don't know where he said it. It's recorded in Acts. It is more blessed to give than receive. But the Bible always teaches us that if we give, we receive. Think, think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. We don't know what he received, but I want to tell you this. Jesus didn't finish the parable. The Good Samaritan just said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll pay you for it. But I guarantee you, there's not ever been a deed done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that wasn't rewarded at least tenfold, and many times even a thousandfold. Because God's grace is sufficient. When I give, I receive. When I surrender, I win. You know, there's a word that a lot of people don't like. And that word is submit. Submit. Some of you ladies are getting your dander up already. I know where you're going. You're going to that scripture that I hate. That scripture that says wives submit to your husbands. Now let me explain that to you. You know why you hate that scripture, ladies? I didn't realize so many of you ladies were wrestling fans. But in the old days, they had wrestling on TV on Saturday night, live from Red Mountain, wrestling. Not wrestling, wrestling. With an R, wrestling. Not like they do in high school, but this is showmanship. And you had the good guys and the bad guys, and it was all staged. I mean, they'd just about kill one another, and then they'd walk out together uh, as best friends because they got paid royally to do that. But you know what, the, one of those old mean guys would get one of the good guys and he'd get his arm twisted behind him and he'd about to twist it off and, and the guy was going, no, no, and the referee would say, well, do you submit? That's where I first heard the word submit, watching wrestling on Saturday night. And you know what I thought? I thought, I don't care how hard the devil squeezes my arm, I'm never going to submit. You know, when we were kids, remember having to holler calf rope? Some of you mature people might remember that. Some of you immature people have to Google that. But you know what submission means to God? Submission means God wins. You have your way in my life. When I surrender to God, I win. When I am humble, God exalts me. When I bow down, God lifts me up. I want, now, some of y'all need to get set free a little bit in your worship, all right? And I want to tell you, you don't have to raise your hand in this church. Nobody's going to kick you out for not raising your hand. But I want, if you want to raise your hand, you raise your hand. If you want to say amen, say amen. You want to say praise the Lord, say praise the Lord. You want to say hallelujah, say hallelujah. Why? Because when we bow down ourselves, God lifts us up. We need a whole lot more bowing down ourselves and letting God lift us up. You really enjoy worship when you see you for what you are and God for who he is. And when you do that, you'll normally, just naturally, bow down. When I'm humble, when I'm humble, God exalts me. When I confess, I am pardoned. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If you ever get arrested, you don't want to see me coming. You say, aren't you going to visit me and say, oh, yes, I will. And I'm going to tell you to do just the opposite of what your lawyer is going to tell you to do. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're guilty, when you go before the judge, you confess it and apologize for it and ask forgiveness. And you know what the lawyer's going to come along? Don't you dare do what that preacher said. You say, why do you do that, preacher? Because somebody needs to tell people who are guilty, yeah, you can be pardoned, but you have to confess your guilt. Don't go around saying, I'm not guilty. I didn't do anything. I want to tell you, everybody's guilty. 
There's not an innocent person, in even the little children down in the nursery. We talk about them being innocent, but you let them get a few weeks older after that. In fact, they're, they're not really innocent when they're in the crib. You let that little rascal get wet or dirty, you think he's innocent, he'll scream like a banshee until you come and clean him or her up. That's not innocence, that's human nature. But I want to tell you this, the Bible says, whosoever covers his sin shall not prosper. When I go see people in jail, I say, if you're guilty and you want forgiveness, you have to confess it. They say, well, I'm going to take my lawyer's advice. I say, well, then you and your lawyer may have to stand before God together because I've given you biblical advice. It's only in confession that I'm pardoned. When I bow down, I'm lifted up. And I love this. When I'm broken, I'm made whole. If you're here broken today, they have good news for you. God takes broken things and puts them back together, get together better than they were in the first place. You'll be better than you ever have been if you'll take the broken pieces of your life and give them to Jesus. This acrostic down here at the bottom, I don't know the first time I heard it, and there are several others, but I love this version. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's the best definition of grace I've ever heard. I know it's unmerited favor. I know it's given to sinners who call on him. But it's God's riches at Christ's expense. I was watching Bill Gaither again last night. They sang an old song. Brought tears to my eyes. My daddy was my hero. He was a Navy veteran of World War II. My daddy's favorite hymn of all time was there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. He especially loved that verse that said the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day and there that may I though vile as he wash all my sins away. But his second favorite hymn is one that's not even in our hymnals anymore but they sang it last night and it's a hymn that goes like this. It says my soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened from sin and distressed, till I heard a sweet voice saying, make me your choice. And I entered the haven of rest. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wild seas no more. The tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep. In Jesus, I'm safe evermore. My daddy loved that song because he was a sailor. He'd been in the worst typhoon during World War II in the South Pacific on a ship that was probably the smallest ship in the fleet, a destroyer escort. And he said they bounced around on the top of the ocean like a cork on a windy lake. And he said sometimes the front of that ship would go into the wave and that wake would come over and it literally would come over the entire ship. And he said, whenever he heard that song about the haven of rest, he thought about how he had gone through World War II and hadn't been saved. And then came out of World War II and got saved on the front porch of his house in the community of Woodlawn just a few weeks before I was born. He anchored his soul in the haven of rest. When my daddy died in 1984, I said he doesn't have to worry about the wild seas anymore. He's gone to the haven of rest forever. And folks, I want to tell you, that's what grace is. Grace takes you out of life, stormy seas, and puts you, even when the storm is raging, your soul will rest 
in the haven of rest. Are you resting there today? Have you experienced God's grace? You can today. Christ, God's riches at Christ's expense. Call on the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I pray now if there's someone here today that needs to be saved. I pray if there's a teenager, a little boy, a little girl, a man, a woman. Father, I pray that this would be the day, this would be the hour when they would call on the name of the Lord. For you tell us in your word, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Father, as the storms rage around us, moral storms and political storms and financial storms and family storms, Father, storms of all kinds on the horizon, we can ride safely in the haven of rest. And Father, I thank you that Jesus is that haven of rest. Father, I pray now that during this invitation, if there's someone that needs a church home, someone that needs to be baptized, someone who needs to be saved, Lord, they would come to the haven of rest today. For Jesus' sake, I ask you.